folks, before we start, before we get any further, um, we want to acknowledge uh, Jason Smith, uh, the CEO of Starburns, a uh, great podcast network. Um, a couple weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, when we decided we wanted to do this show again, um, helped us out, like got us our, our SS feed, got us back up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, what you and I know put together about how to do any of that does not add up to a clue. Yeah, that's right. Um, which we should fix, but we didn't. <laughs> Jason Smith um, really, really helped out and was super patient and, and kind. Um, and he... Uh, passed away unexpectedly last Friday. Um, we mention this because there is a GoFundMe for his daughter's college education. Um, she is 17. Um, and it would be great if you are enjoying this show to kick in uh, a buck or two or more. Um, if you're listening and enjoying, that is because of Jason Smith, who really... Yes. Uh, helped yes, us out indeed. a lot, so it'll it'll be uh, it'll be my pinned tweet uh, uh, on Twitter at Dave Holmes. It'll be in my bio on my Instagram, also at Dave Holmes. Um, and uh, yeah, if you can uh, if you can help, please do. Yeah, um, our, con- he, our condolences to his family. Exactly. Um, he also, I should I, I should point out, did suggest that we change the name to make it easier to Google. Um, so he does leave behind a complicated legacy, um, but uh, but a good man and uh, and his family is uh, deserving of our our love and support. So please help out if you can. Indeed. That having been said, welcome to True Story. True Story. Homecoming episode five. It's yes. good to be back. We're falling into a rhythm. Oh yeah, my name is Mike Doty, by the way. Oh yeah, my name is Dave Holmes. Um. Mike, tell your thoughts about episode five. Well, I want to begin by saying that I had a dream last night. Oh, right. Yes. I dreamed that you and I, Dave Holmes, had a time machine. And we we went back to the L.A. season. Oh. Yeah, which, you know, eccentric choice. But it was different because Norman was there and Amaya was there. Okay. And so we were talking to Amaya, and she said, why are you guys wearing those surgical masks? And we had to explain the pandemic to her. Oh, shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So even in 1993, we couldn't be free from the, uh, the tyranny of the mask. Or we just forgot to take them off. Or we just forgot to take Either, them off. I don't really remember. I don't remember the context. Now, so, in retrospect, I wish I had said something so Amaya could have stopped 9-11. Yes. There you go. Man. Okay. Well, next time, next time, just write it down. Um, so we went. <laughs> we went to the house. We went to the real world house. Yeah. It was. It wasn't the. It was. It was like a different house. Everyone had their own individual hot tub, and so we were all like sitting in our individual hot tubs. Okay. And talking to each other. A, a very COVID safe way to do the real world. Yeah, oh yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, and there, and it was on the beach, but the, it was snowing, and there were snowmobiles. People were running around in snowmobiles. Okay. And, and wow. we were taught we were talking to Amaya, and uh, nearly uh, prevented uh, world historical atrocities. But, I mean, yeah. I wish I could have incepted myself into this dream. 
just uh you know just to talk to dom for a little just to talk music with dom for a little bit oh gosh make me a mixtape dom is dom the guy that hates it now is he he's like one of the one of the the heretics that have that have left eden screaming Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the fuck he is up fled with that? the scene. Well, I, well, I think it. F- he felt that it, it maybe affected his credibility as a music oh, writer, as a yeah. professional grump. Um, did he, he in uh, fact assert that the real world was not real? I, he probably did. Yeah, <laughs> it, to the degree that he talked about it at all. Like he he was yeah he was like the Irish music writer. I think he wrote for hits or something. Right, right? hits. And oh my God. Speaking hits of magazine. Having a haven't been a guy putting songs out on the radio in the '90s. Oh mm. my god! And I, I assert again my my uh, credibility, which is that I am literally a '90s one-hit wonder. Oh, stop it! No, I dude, I embrace it as cultural cachet, and you know, just like a great. It's a great title to have in society, and also sure. like people discuss. Uh, acts as being one-hit wonders that are not. For instance, yeah. Snow followed up Informer with Girl I've Been Hurt, another hit record. It's Yes. Uh, yes. Aha, The Sun Always Shines on TV. Yeah, there you go. Didn't go to number one, but it was a hit song. It was a hit song. I got one song, number 38 on the Billboard Top 40, literally and just by a hair, one-hit wonder. And and, uh, and circles I circles are super bon bon. It was circles. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's okay. one of the two. Um, I'm either a one hit wonder or a two hit wonder. Unfortunately, people really define a one hit wonder as someone whose songs you remember, which that's not what a one hit wonder is. Come on, no, it's come on. There, there are technical standards. Okay, well, I don't, I don't see you that way, and I don't, I don't like that self image for you. Because I don't, I don't take it as being like a a, a, a pejorative. I I just think it's great that like you know. And I often people are like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" And well, I'm a one hit wonder from the '90s. Okay. I, All right. Yeah, I I love it absolutely. Love but you're, it. but that, but you are still making great music. Ghost of Room is awesome. Oh, indeed. E- thank even you if very you much. Were a one hit wonder, which I don't see you that way. That's one more hit than I ever had. So I would probably. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I tell people is like. Yeah. Most musicians are no hit wonders. That's so. True. Yeah. But no, no, no. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, I've always sort of functionally been a jazz guy in uh-huh. life. You know, just like making records, being like arty dude. You know, playing for my little cult of. Yeah of uh, hipsters yeah um yeah you know so that's really what i am in life but you know but the 90s actually provided the perfect growing conditions for an artist like you to have a number 38 song indeed Uh, well um in fact there was so much money in the music business and so much confusion after nirvana which nobody knew was going to be a hit, to the extent that that allegedly Geffen did not print enough CDs uh, for when, yeah, the, this this is the the legendary story is that when it was uh, when uh, Amy Finnerty uh, got it on uh, MTV, um, uh, uh, they didn't have enough records. Like they were com- caught completely by surprise. Yeah. And oh, shit, uh, I never knew that. Yeah. 
And um, so, so they were just throwing. After that, they threw money at everything that they did not understand a little bit. Yeah. And that, and not only at at bands they didn't understand, but like people who like wrote for fanzines. Uh, you know, ended up with you know quarter million dollar a year A and R jobs, and it was it was just a mess. And it was you know, looking back, it was pretty beautiful. Um, yeah. Those fanzine writers end up make, making a lot more money than most of the artists did, as it happens. I'll be but, damned. Uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a wild and hilarious time. A time when circles would be played on the radio alongside how bizarre. <laughs> okay, like, here's just the my- same station. Here's my how bizarre story. Oh, God, we're digressing super early. Is so uh, my friend Marty Diamond, who's like a giant booking agent and books, uh, you know, Coldplay and like acts of that ilk. Um, his office is filled with so many gold and platinum plaques that he can't put them all up. So in the spare room, he's got all these gold and platinum plaques. You know, just like leaning against the walls because there's no yeah. space in the office for him. And he's got one for How Bizarre. that n- Not a gold or platinum record, but it just says on the little little plaque, you know, presented to Marty Diamond for all the success on OMC's How Bizarre. And it is the <laughs> biggest plaque in the... It is a huge, huge plaque. You know, the, the, oh. um, the, the diamond plaque for... Uh, What's her face? Your love is better than ice cream. Why am I not remembering mm-hmm. her name? Um, is smaller than the OMC How Bizarre plaque, not even depicting a platinum record. Just like to commemorate its printing. <laughs> yes, indeed. On vinyl. And I really, uh, really wish I'd been like, Marty, you're never going to put that up. Let me have it. And I'd yeah. put it up in my spare room or something, and it would, it would be really great. Oh, man. Perfect guest room decor. I'll rob that house. I've been meaning to try that. <laughs> um, speaking of Coldplay, you know, their manager is named Dave Holmes. So oh, is that I right? get DMs all the fucking time from like, will you play our wedding? Or like, <laughs> hi, I'm the class president of the senior class at some somewhere in the Philippines or whatever. Will you play our graduation? Oh, I wow. have not yet tried to charge anybody. I also have a good friend who's a British comedian named Chris Martin. Who has the same problem? Oh, so at some yeah. point we need to join forces and try and mm-hmm. wring some money out of this. But anyway, well, there's a hockey player, Sarah McLaughlin. Doty, so Sarah McLaughlin, there you go, Sarah McLaughlin. But listen, what we need to talk about musically are uh, yes, uh, Cece Peniston, yes, uh, DNA featuring Suzanne Vega. Do 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 do. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's the name of the song. Et cetera, et cetera. Do 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 do. Uh, uh, Rakim. And see what yes. I, I wrote. I wrote down all the actual '90s songs in it. Truly, um, this episode works as a mixtape as well as an episode. It does. I, I have a couple complaints, as I tend to. The I first bet is that we have the same, at least one. Is it Tears but for Fears? On. No, Tears for Fears is in there. The, That's not from the '90s. No, that was '89. No. My uh-uh. friends. Um, that that song was big in the fall of 89 when I arrived on campus at Holy Cross and was like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> like that, that song, I love it so much, but it's also like my life was crumbling around me because I had just made, I had like had two paths were in front of me and I chose the one that was like, oh, th- I'm not going to become the person that I am supposed to be here. This is, I'm, let, let's settle in for five years of solid self-loathing. 
it's it's life, it's a ra- it's an incredible choice on your part. I've always I've always admired you for. Thank you. Know, you. Yes. Thank you. I mean, who knows what kind of dick cokehead I would be if I had you know gone to study film or something somewhere. If I'd gone to NYU, I'd be insufferable. Thank God, you know, five years of unremitting shame can <laughs> be good for the soul eventually. Made you Met the some man lovely people at all across. Today. Really did. I had a lovely time. Just the wrong choice. Anyway. So look, on the last episode, they actually played Aha's Take on Me, but not the real version, a cover. No. no. Yeah. But, no, we don't want And that. look, I'm just disappointed by all the time that they spend playing uh, uh, temp music. I'm not going to dignify it by calling it anything other than temp music that just happened to make the final cut that mm. is not music from the 1990s. No, it's such it's a not. rich palette of, of, of wonderful songs yeah. that, you know. And so many great ways to do it right, which they do most of the time. So, yeah, I, I'm absolutely with you. When it's, when it's uh, some YouTuber's cover of, uh, you know, of take on oh, me. Oh God, no. 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 We have Sirius XM, the Coffee House, for that. We don't yes, need we, it on the real yes, world. We, yes, we, we just do. don't. My complaint musically was Kevin uh, talking about his recent divorce and all the heartbreak that ensued, uh, and the song that they score that to is Tony Tony Tony's Feels Good. <laughs> yes. Which which I just I mean I just totally it's, off. Instinctively, I, I began sort of quasi dancing uh, mm-hmm. because it's so great. But it was not. It's unkind to Kevin to say the least. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> it I does, mean, think about listen, it. Think about a divorce. Is it doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the easy play is everybody hurts, but it's the easy play for a reason. It works. Oh yeah, yeah. There you it go. Works. God damn. And it. surely they used it in the original season. I can't imagine they didn't. Yeah. Oh, um. Yeah. But yeah, musically excellent, excellent episode. Um. And we drill down deep into Norman and his experience yes, in this episode, indeed. which I am indeed. so glad that we right. do. So lay it on, lay it on me, gay well, okay. dude into music that went to Holy Cross. Yep. So we, we discussed this a bit last week. The 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 moment with him and Becky where she's like, "I didn't meet any cute boys tonight," and he says, "I didn't either." Right. Just just how simple and um and and matter of fact and beautiful and 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 not played for big laughs. It was was really right. significant. Right. So. So Norman, you know, initially says he's bisexual, whatever. Often people need to define themselves that way. I'm not, okay, what I'm about to say here is going to sound like bisexual erasure. I, it, I don't mean for it to be. Bisexuals mm. exist. However, the thing where gay men first describe themselves as bisexual and then later, once they are more comfortable uh, being gay start to identify as gay is also a thing. Like it is a way, it's a way in both for yourself and for the world around you. Right. So he did that a little bit. Um, And then, you know, what we don't think about because he was so open and did seem so comfy. And even Heather is like, you know, Norman doesn't care what people think about him. And, you know, when you're around him, it makes you feel like a kid because you stop caring what people think about you. That is not completely true. Right. And, and it's not completely true really for anyone. He, he, um, sort of was in a place where he could live openly and then he lived openly in front of cameras and then 
he got back into the actual real world afterwards where, you know, he had outed himself all at the same right. time to everyone he's ever met. Right. And uh, and so, uh, you know, he alludes to some rough times with some friends at home. Um, he talks about to a, 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 a in just like a, a minute. He talks about being bullied as a kid for seeming gay Right. And being called the F word and all that. And then later finding out that, in fact, he is gay, which right. is also right. a thing that is common. You know, not it's not universal, but it is common to to gay men, which is a, a strange thing um, and something that doesn't get talked about on TV ever. Right. And then he talks about um, the fact that the gay community after yes. the show didn't take him in. Because he did initially identify as bisexual. Now right. that is, now that's something we never hear on TV. Um, you, there is this idea that there is a gay community that is all accepting and and all of that, and that is so far from the truth. Mm. It's crazy, um, and 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 it was especially nasty back in the nineties. You know, it were, was indeed. Were, I mean, I I remember rough. all the like, you know, the weaponized outing. And, yes. Uh, so I, uh, unlike someone who went to school at Holy Cross, I imagine mm -hmm. um, my friends were all, you know, combat boot wearing fucking, you know, super PC social what now we call social justice warriors. And yeah. it, and it would, would just be a matter of course that if you were gay and were not militantly out, you were an enemy of the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, can see I, that. I, 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 uh, I, you know, still subscribe to a milder version of my college politics. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, but yeah, yeah. It, it might not a lot of mercy for people, right? Um, there is also the other side of it, which is the sort of more mainstream side of the of the gay world that was coming together in the in the late 80s right. early 90s that was you know there was starting to be visibility but there was so much um the image was so carefully curated and constructed so sure. it was just like you know the Chelsea you remember the Chelsea clone of the early 90s oh, yeah. like abs and shoulders and the Caesar haircut and yep. no sleeves ever and yep. you know the body had to be perfect and so and if you didn't if you weren't that then you were just like bullied like your seventh grade self could not even imagine right really I mean, just shunned and yeah i mean it was it was fucking gross and it wasn't there wasn't now there's like this thriving like bear scene which has its own strictures and and rules and like you know language and all that and it's just as easy to be on the outs in that group but um but it it was at the time it was very you had to kind of look perfect and, and you had to sort of be awesome. Wow. So we were so used to indirect representation, you know, like uh, having our emotions indirectly through a diva, like a Bette Midler or somebody uh -huh. who is not a gay man, but like, and doesn't have the same experience, but like emotes. And so we're like, so that's the person that we feel things through. And right. then slowly as people were starting to come out, it, it, you, it was like, well, I, that I don't a hundred percent agree with or identify with that person. So fuck him. 
He's right. wrong. <laughs> like right. early gay out stand-up comics in the early nineties. Like if they, if I didn't a hundred percent agree with them, I was like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, he doesn't speak for me. You know, like <laughs> you get real defensive about the shit because there's nobody there. So right. um, the people who came out who were accepted tended to be younger and prettier and more fabulous and um and if you weren't that then it was like you know the the magazines and the organizations didn't quite know what to do with you so and norman was the guy who got very angry when they didn't uh vcr his star trek episode thank you yeah thank you he had one request <laughs> and did you say dvr uh, no, no, I said VCR. Did you say VHS? No. Okay, don't I get it. Okay. Oh, I, okay, yeah, good. I said VCR. Didn't say VHS. Could have okay. been Betamax. We don't know. VC. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, um, yeah. He was he was out of the ordinary, and and you know the gay community mostly still doesn't know what to do with people who aren't like it's Nick Jonas will get more attention from the gay press just for having the torso that he has right. than than like I ever have in all of my career put together or like Guy Branham or, you know, even like, you know, Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers and all that. It's like the the sort of dug in um, sort of gay internet and media still will reach out to someone like perfect looking and straight who's like, like I think gay people are whatever. Like that'll be the cover and then it's like, oh hey, I'm a I'm a, um, a gay person who's out, who's you know, always working. Can I get a little support? You really have to fucking push harder. We're again, it's a tangent, but it, it is the kind of thing that you don't typically hear on TV. And uh, again, Norman is a is a motherfucking icon and groundbreaking television yeah. personality. Also, I recommend hmm. his uh, Instagram wholeheartedly. He's he's all about being at that bakery in Michigan. In right. Ironwood, Michigan, and right. you know, talking about how they make the pastries, and he is just great. He is he's just one of the greatest uh, uh, figures in the history of pop culture, if, of our of our era, in my opinion. Can I on his Instagram get a painting of a chocolate bunny? I believe you can. Well, I believe okay, you have cool. to go to the link in the bio and then go okay. to a, a store. But oh yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, at Norman Corpy. Go there. Great. Great. I Boom. love it. And tell, us, and tell them true stories sent you. Please do. Uh, we don't get any kind of affiliate um, revenue. No, but, none. Um, yeah, last week he painted some chocolate bunnies. They did, in fact, go up on several cast members' Instagrams. Yeah. Um, so everybody put their money where their mouth was, and we love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm... Uh, all about Heather in this episode. Heather yes. is at her best in episode yes. five of Homecoming. There are two two Heather things that I absolutely loved in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the first was when the when the when they played a clip. You know the incoming message thing comes on the screen. Yeah. She burned sage, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second was in, in the 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 climactic discussion of Becky, and we'll get to this week and Becky later. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's chopping onions, chopping onions and just chopping them super loud, and it was just mm-hmm. like the best. It was like an it was like avant garde film, just you know, it, like well maybe Becky feels like this is a chop, chop, fan. 
fantastic. So good. And like chopping onions, not in the onion chopping area of the loft. <laughs> no, right at the you dining I mean? table. There's, there's a kitchen. There's ample counter space in there. Yeah. And it's not far away enough that you wouldn't hear what Julie was saying if Julie was talking and having a little house meeting. Right. She brought those onions to that table, yeah. sat amid <laughs> the loft mates, and chopped those onions. How am I going to make my opinion known without saying it directly? Yeah. And the genius I, that I, is Heather B. Oh, it was fantastic. I wonder whether that is a, a reference to a Chappelle show uh, sketch. Lay it on me. There, there was a, um, uh, uh, he did a making the band and, uh, and it's, uh, and he played, uh, he played a couple of the, the, like the, the rappers in the band that he, that had been put together, but he also plays, uh, Puff, Sean Puffy Combs or whatever he was calling himself at that time. And, uh, and, and he's like in this episode, he's angry with the band and he's like, kind of like he's lecturing them and a couple of them are checked out and he's. And like one's like picking at his afro, and he's like, "Oh, you're oh, this is, you're gonna comb your hair now. This is a good time to comb your hair." And another one's on her phone, and uh, and he's like, "Oh, so you're texting a friend now?" And then a third one is fully like Heather at the couch chopping onions, and he's wow. like, "Oh, you're chopping onions now. You think this is a good time to chop onions?" So I'm just wondering whether that was like a super I don't know, man, super that, specific callback. It was a great time to chop onions. That's all I can tell you. Oh, God, was it good. Yeah. Um, I had two other awesome Heather moments. First, her um, she, she puts her foot down right at the beginning of the episode in saying, I don't do confessionals. I don't have to do confessionals because yes. I will tell you what I need to tell you to your grill. Right. So in the middle of everyone being in the same room, what would be a scene, she has something to say. So she simply turns to the camera in the like the Gary Shandling show and just starts narrating it and saying how she feels about it right. because she is not going to hold anything back. Right. Um, she and, does say, which I loved, that's your real, that ain't my real. That's your real, which, that ain't my real. You know, all this uh, discussion of the word real, um, yeah. the a classic, uh, classic for the this is real, this isn't real, mm-hmm. you know, event- eventually... Every uh, disgruntled member of the cast is going to uh, uh, have a disquisition. Disquisition? Is that the real word? Whatever it, it sounds is. Sounds good. About, about the word. <laughs> yes. Let's just go yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. She's, speak of the pompatus of love. Uh, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Heather uh, says a couple times in the episode, that, like, I'm not going to go down roads I've already gone down. Yep. Uh, don't, don't be a yeah. time fever. Don't be time yeah. thieving. Yeah, and and you like think I'm we're not giving using that all the time. giving Becky, yeah, the time thieving thing, uh, the the line, and and then uh, that that she's like, it, we're giving Becky power by giving her attention. Yes, yes, yes. Um, she won't dwell on the past except to say, I ran track. That's why my legs are still popping. <laughs> oh God, wow. which. Yeah, you can take me back to the past for that, Heather, and I'm not going to complain. So if there was a mega cut of just dope Heather B lines from the whole first season, just like one from the other, one to the other without context, how long would it be? Would like a half hour, an hour, 
And it. wouldn't you just leave it on while you made coffee in the kitchen and, you know, yeah. straighten up the living room? Did It'd the be dishes. my meditation app. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, it would be, honestly, if you took her best moments from a one-hour episode, it would be 90 minutes long. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's too good. Um, you know, any any time I'm um, I'm trying to get somebody on the road to like merge in front of me because they're trying to get in and I'm trying to let them in and they're being hesitant. I go, come on, stupid, come on, stupid, <laughs> like Heather did to the security guard when they were stuck yeah. at the Meadowlands. Yep. Come on, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like not mean. Yeah. It's a, it's like a term of endearment, but it's like come on, yes. stupid. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. To this day, it's 2021. I still do that shit. Well, listen, I one of the greatest moments. I don't want to get to this week in Becky yet. Just let's hold yeah, off for just a moment. Yeah, delay um, non gratification. Yes. Um, but m- my favorite revelation was that Julie used to go through the garbage looking mm-hmm. for production notes to yeah. know what the crew was going to do next. And yeah. that. That that is probably second to Norman fucking Charles Perez on the pool table in terms of I mean, revelations. That, yeah, who that is a that is a level of old soul wisdom <laughs> that I that it, I am in awe of. Um, and and I, I'm I'm recapping this show for Decider.com, and I and I'm gonna I say this in the in the recap for this week, but I've worked in television for. 23 years now i am 2.5 times julie's age when she was doing this show uh uh the the reality tv craze is decades old i if you if you put me on a reality show today i would not be smart enough to look through the trash for production notes right (laughs) there you go and this was yes before there was such a thing as reality tv Mm -hmm. she knew to do this and completely belied her uh, her her uh, persona as mm-hmm. as the 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 naive one, mm-hmm. um, and ju- you know I just I I above all I love hearing the stuff that reflects self awareness that they yeah. were on a TV show. Yeah, um, you know I I I love like the that every single person in. Uh, uh, in in the the first episode is flashback saying so this is like nine zero two one zero, yes like nine zero two one zero that level stuff oh and at the end of the episode they all do a riff on can you get the phone yes yes which I absolutely loved so yeah so it proves that they did watch the show even the ones who were like oh I never really watched it. Like, yeah. you know, you got to be pretty familiar with it to know, can you get the phone is like right. a big part of it. Like you, that wouldn't bump for you unless you had watched that opening sequence. Yeah. Many, oh, many my times. God. Oh, my God. Okay. Second only to true Stowray. Second only to in, true Stowray. Oh, we could have called this. Could you get the phone? Could you no, get I, the, I, I think I don't think anybody. Think, look, when when we first came out with this. And we did a little publicity for it. Everybody who was a fan of the show that heard the title yep. knew exactly what it was, <laughs> exactly yep. when they heard it. Our audience yeah. knew it. 
knew it our well, people. They get it. They get yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Andre has a, a pretty decent episode, I would say. I would say there's a great segment of him not knowing he's on camera. I loved it. Beautifully loved shot. It. Yeah. 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 Yep, he's catching up with his wife. I guess there are like safe areas or what they think are safe areas within the loft where it's like, okay, I can chill out for a sec. I can have a real conversation. I can, you know, get a phone call, whatever. Or they just forget. He's in one of those. Or they just forget they're on a show where there are cameras everywhere. But yeah, as Julie and Heather had done before, Andre notices a camera and doesn't really stop what he's doing. Well, it's not it's not a very incriminating phone call. It's not it's not scandalous. No. Well, not yet. He's just like not yet. <laughs> um, uh, Andre also has a, a, a very good observation about Becky, which we'll save for this week in Becky. Oh. Um, and uh, Eric does a lot of uh, couch dancing. Indeed. Some very sexy shaman mm-hmm. couch dancing. Yep. Uh, and also eats a yellow pepper like an apple. I yes, I was going to mention that. Yes, that's that is great. That is yeah. just fantastic. Now I ne- love, he never disappoints. No, he never does. I, and I love a pepper of any color, but I can't consuming them that way. It has not crossed my mind. Yeah, there's just got to be some chopping involved. There in the average in the average consci- consciousness, there is always chopping and often a dip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. a good dip. Or or yeah. heat them up, put them in a in a pasta dish. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, yeah, I uh, Kevin, um, to the strains of Tony, 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 talks about his romantic history. He uh, he he he's now we've heard that he was married, and it sound like my I don't know why I thought this, but when they said that he was married, when he said he was married, I assumed that it was you know late nineties, early aughts, something like that. But it was mm-hmm. apparently something that happened very recently. Yes. Like and, like dirt, like just pre-pandemic, yeah. apparently. Right. Yeah. So like a double adjustment for him just oh, before dude. the pandemic. So yeah, divorce on top of global pandemic, and yet we get Tony, Tony, Tony. I don't understand the choice, <laughs> but it did make me happy. Um, he is uh, he is single, but he is determined to marry again, as Heather has done. I didn't realize that Heather was married. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, Heather is married. Happy, happy that they're happy. Um, and she she, and, she steps up to say she is going to help Kevin find his bride, his mm-hmm. forever love. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He says he wants to have kids again. This is a conversation. That, look, I just sat there going, "Wow, we are a bunch of fucking middle aged ass people sitting around talking about marriage and children." Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just no rough edges. You know, no sarcasm, no cynicism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yet, only only two are parents that we know of. Uh, uh, only Eric and Julie have kids. Yeah, Andre. Uh, yeah, Andre and Julie, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eric, who knows? The early 90s were, were wild. <laughs> Half um, the cast of The Grind is bearing a little Eric. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, we should be so lucky. Um, but yeah, with um, with Andre, he, you know, you can tell he's a happy parent. He's a doting parent. Um, with Julie, in, in this episode especially, you do get the sense of like, this is a person who, for 
you know, a decade and a half now has had to know like three different people's schedules and figure right. out rides to and from and permission slips and soccer logistics. You know, yes. Yeah. Don't leave without your soccer shoes because you got practice right after. And like right. that level of like family, family planning, not in that way, but like you know, right. planning of schedules for a family, Fam- family scheduling, family scheduling uh, and, and like quarterbacking. Um, comes into play later in the episode, but again, it involves Julie, and I don't want to talk about it until we absolutely have to. Um, uh, well, I think uh, we're not going there, but uh, Becky, I believe, has kids, right? Doesn't she have kids? No, she had, a, the... she had a boyfriend who had a daughter. Oh. I think is what they They go to the was. south of France. Something like that, yeah. yeah. She, had a, she alluded to like a close relationship with, with like not a stepdaughter, but the equivalent of a stepdaughter. Right. Oh, God. Um... Uh, I enjoyed the uh, the trip to Stonewall. It's a little on the nose during during yeah. the gay conversation to be like, <laughs> let's go to the Stonewall, um, which I don't think is actually the Stonewall. Like the the Stonewall Inn that is there now is not the place where the riot started from. I no, it think. is what it is where the I used to live across the street from it. Really? Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it is absolutely the the same. Uh, oh. bar it was not okay. always the same it was not always that bar you know this is like a like a several versions reincarnated gotcha uh uh, uh an est- establishment so it's not I like gotcha. there's a continuum from whoever owned it because i think actually the mafia owned and managed the stone wall yeah. in the 60s yeah 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 um it is not it is not to the best of my uh, uh um knowledge a mafia run establishment please please no libel suits please yeah. please yeah. clearly no. no mafia involved in stonewall i've always loved that there is stonewall and then the duplex a couple doors down piano right. bar right. uh and then in the middle kettle of fish just like just the mo- just the, the the ungayest pub in the in the West Village, just nestled in between them. Used to be used to be quite counterculturally in the nineteen sixties. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, like Bob Dylan bar kind of a kind okay. of a joint. A lot okay. of Phil Oaks getting shit faced type of mm-hmm. stuff. And then God, Marie's Crisis is right down the way, which is of course, um, a a, a beaming. Uh, beacon of of gay life historically in New York City. Let me let me tell you something. I um, want like in the last year of my dad's life, they we all went to New York, um, and and my parents, both in their eighties, um, had never been there. And I was like, I bet my parents would love Marie's Crisis. And so oh. we went. It was like a Thursday or a Friday night. It wasn't super late, so it was crowded but not super packed. Um, and like, and everyone was, you know, saw kind of two older people come in, gave up their seats at the piano. And my parents just sort of sat there and like, you know, knew some of the songs, you know, they're, they're hugely into music and all the big band stuff, show tunes, they right. know half the time. Um, but even when they didn't, they were just so delighted by what was happening around them and just right. the unbridled joy in that room. Right. Um, it just was, it was, I, I was like that, that is a moment that is etched on my heart. I love wow. Ah, I love that place. I could talk about the gay West Village forever. <laughs> um, but a, a a Black Trans Lives Matter march starts there and then goes past 
the uh, the apartment, which they are back to by the time it passes the apartment. And uh, Heather shouts, we love you. And Julie shouts, like I got filled up, shouts, we hear you. Wow. Which I mean, that's like, that's somebody who understands yeah. how to communicate to a marginalized community. You yeah. know what I mean? Like knows how to be like something other than a savior. You right. know what I mean? Done a little bit um, of work. Yeah. Heather uh, talks about uh, Julie's night under the, the bridge or, or by the Bethesda fountain or wherever that yes, was. Yes, indeed, indeed. Where she spent the night rough with uh, with Darlene. Mm-hmm. And Heather says, like, Julie was smart enough to know that when she went, if she was interested in something and went to explore it, the cameras would follow her and they would right. also capture whatever right, it was that right. she was interested in. So she might as well bring attention to something important. Again, right. 19 years old should be I, I I don't think she's interested in politics, but I, I would vote for her for any public office. <laughs> she is an American <laughs> success story in the good way. She is president of our hearts. She's president of our hearts. <laughs> yes. No term limits. Um, All right. Now, let me just look at what else I got. Uh, yeah. Let's make we... sure we've got nothing else. Um, well, uh, someone makes dive in. For the first time, uh, makes a reference to the big chill, which yeah. I had not even thought about. But that mm. you know that was so for for those that uh, you know inexplicably are young and listening to this program, mm-hmm. um, the big chill was a was a movie about uh, baby boomers from the '60s yes. uh, coming together at, at the funeral of a friend, uh, at like a house in New England. And then, for some reason, uh, Jeff Goldblum can't get laid. Yeah, yeah, which is never you know, did understand that. No, that was that was weird. But yeah, so it was uh, a cultural touchstone at the time, and old people coming together to reminisce was was you know always cross referenced with the big chill. Yeah. And I gotta say, I was a little horrified. I was a little <laughs> yeah. like I don't I I don't like being implicated in uh, in uh, uh, boomer signifiers yeah uh, as a Gen Xer um, and that's just really like I just I ex- I expect better I expect mm-hmm. better than the big chill and indeed still, indeed it, yeah. yes it's still what you go to it's still what the mind goes to here are two things though um, first of all the characters in the big chill are like thirty seven. <laughs> so that doesn't even work. Yes. That oh god. Oh. Like there's still, you know, one of the 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 plots is a woman is trying to conceive. So it's like they're they're yes. you know oh, god. at peak fertility. Oh. Um so it seemed like they were old, but they were late 30s. Um also and this is a thing I think about all the time. Like okay, so um we had the big chill soundtrack in our house when I was growing up, came out in whatever it was, 82. And yeah. the music was all from 67. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a couple of years before I was born. And so I was like, you know, this music is, is prehistoric and, you know, some of it's really <laughs> good and whatever. The Motown. Um, and There's it, a ton of Motown. Yeah. It's a ton of Motown. Uh, an equivalent soundtrack. If that movie were made today would be like, um, uh, toxic by Britney Spears. um and like mid-career strokes like first comeback strokes right 
I don't know that I ever. I you know I, I I've listened. I listened to the Strokes once the day before nine eleven. Oh. And uh, have not put on a Strokes album since. And I love the album. Oh, really? It was the first. Yeah. It was the first album. I, I I loved it. It was a great sort of unified statement, cohesive yeah. statement of an album. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah, but yeah, first impressions of Earth, two thousand six. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I could not recognize a song from it, which uh, you know makes me an old person. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't write. I, looking at the titles, I don't either. But if I heard them, I might understand. Right. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So the big chill. I I I did take another issue with uh, the thing of like, oh, Becky didn't think. Um, that we w- she thought it was going to be more of like a big chill kind of a thing and not just like going over uh, no drama and not, you know, people going oh. over things from the past. Well, the big chill is a drama about people going over things from their past. So <laughs> once again, you've not done your fucking work, Becky. In fact, Julie uh, says, anyway. and, and we don't know if that's a diplomatic tone from Becky maybe Becky should have gone back Julie, and wrote down the, the quote, um, it would have benefited Becky to go back and watch the show. <laughs> yes. Which is like amazing. Yeah. I uh, mean, a subtle but vicious call out. Like, yeah, it would. you, you should have maybe done the absolute right. minimum of work before you come in telling everyone else that they're doing it wrong. Like, it's pretty clear what you were in for. Just, you know, maybe like dig one of the top three reasons why this was a significant television program was yeah. the racial discussions yes right right and figure out how you're going to react to it in a way that doesn't make you look like a child um so i guess i guess i guess it's time to start this segment huh oh god so i look at becky and uh the reason why i'm particularly depressed is i didn't know an eric uh when i was that age i i you know nobody knew a norman norman is sui generis um, you know, kind of knew an Andre, kind of knew a Julie, definitely knew a Becky. Yeah. Definitely, definitely knew that hairstyle, those kind of dresses, trying mm-hmm. to be a singer-songwriter, went mm-hmm. to NYU, knew like oodles and oodles of them. And it is devastating to think that that is the epitome of what the modern children call Karenhood. Mm-hmm. That is the uh, the destiny yeah. of Becky, the ne plus um, ultra of Karenhood. Yeah, yeah. That that color of hair is is it? Uh, you know, early nineties. Have American spirits been discovered yet? Because it would be oh, American yes. spirits. Yep, yep. And kind cloves. Of a lot of cloves. Oh, of cloves. Obviously, yeah. cloves. Oh, Obviously, man. cloves. Uh, yeah. This um, there was promise of a of a Becky return in this episode. Now we, we learned at the end of the last one that Julie had been communicating with her via text and had plans to take a walk with her. Um, and there, there was reason to expect that she might have cooled off a tiny bit and understood that maybe what she said and how she behaved was not super smart or helpful or constructive and might make some moves toward uh, making an amends of some kind. Just a half step. A half step. Just a, a just step. a little bit of a zhuzh in the right direction. Yeah. Well, uh, no. No. <laughs> oh, God. She I mean, actually... I, 
emphatically no. The wor- he, uh, she's FaceTiming with Kevin, and the words, my black friends, come out of her mouth. And I literally was yelling, no, 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 no. Same. Like, it was like, like really? Same. Really? Same. Oh. Uh, yeah. The, the, the walk with Julie, not super productive. She says she doesn't want to be the poster girl for white privilege. Julie cannot say anything because she doesn't want to get into a fight. Um, right. She, Which she notes explicitly, yes. Notes explicitly. Um, she once again says, uh, I like to travel and I've worked hard. Oh. Which there's the trouble. Like, I don't, I don't know the going rate for um, studying under a Russian uh, theoretical physicist and healer, (laughs) but I can't imagine in this economy that it allows for that much world travel unless you have family connections and people with places and ways for you to do it um, inexpensively. I just see, Um, I see in my head a parade of all the Becky's circa 88 to 93 that I went to 6th Street with and ate Indian food with Mm -hmm. um, and smoked cloves and, you know, got 40s from from a deli on 2nd Avenue. Just just flashes before my eyes and the horror, the horror of, quote unquote, my black friends is like a (sighs) punch to the gut. A punch to the gut. Uh, Julie brings it to the group that Becky would like to come back by screen, which what the fuck is that? She wants to be yeah. on a screen like Eric is. The, Eric gets the screen. We agreed on that. He's got COVID. <laughs> he gets the screen. He gets the whole screen. There um, are rules here. Yeah. Everybody says, oh, Andre, who, by the way, earlier in the episode said she removed herself from the situation. So we should remove her from the conversation, which mm-hmm. is the smartest thing I've heard so far in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre is like, well, why not show up in person? What's going to happen? No, you know, right. what's going to happen in person that won't happen on a screen? Just show up. Right. Um, everyone sort of tentatively agrees. Uh, Heather, Heather chops her ascent uh, yes. into an onion. Um, but then Kevin is like, well, why don't I talk with her first over FaceTime? Right. Oh, God. So he does. Um, she does ask whether he's alone, and he says yes, and that's not true because the cameras are there. Um I don't oh, know whether that's she what she meant too. by that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know if she would know whether there were cameras there. After the the shittiness of that conversation in another, you know, extraordinary moment in terms of the, the context of the real world uh, of of fourth wall breaking, he turns to the cameraman and says, you're a white guy. You're uh-huh. a black guy. What did I say that was wrong? How, how does yeah. he phrase it exactly? Like, what did I say that was incorrect? Yeah. And he's yeah. crying. He's fucking yeah. crying. She yeah. hangs up the phone on him, by the way. Hangs up the fucking phone on him. After, yeah, after again saying, like, um, yeah, with my, with my black friends and my Latino friends, it's oh. not a problem. And it, which, is, which is the problem <laughs> in the <laughs> argument is that no shit, it's not a problem for you. Right. The whole point is that even people who you consider your friends are having very different experiences right next to you that are invisible to you. And you should be aware of that. And you should, you know, try to notice it and, and work against it 
in some way. That's I, it. I look back at who I was circa 92, and I don't see like an exceptional tolerance for discomfort in racial conversations. I don't see an exceptional capacity to listen, uh, even given the context of my friends who were, you know, all, you know, militant soul hippies um, (laughs) and punk rockers. You know, soul hippies, they always had the, the really intricate glass pipes. There was oh, a, sure. there was a whole the soul this, the soul it, hippie is a subculture that is uh, uh, decidedly unremembered. You know, people that went to see funk bands at Wetlands is essentially who we're talking about. Anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I was uh, up on the Upper East Side putting Dave Matthews on a, on a uh, CD jukebox. Uh, oh my at god! This time. Um, but. I, I, it's not like I can point to myself as, as being, you know, an example of, uh, you know, any kind of, um, enlightenment or even really having put in the work I should have, but God damn it. It's 2021. God fucking damn it. Like, can you not just say, you know what? I there's clearly some things that I don't see here because that is the nature of consciousness. Uh huh. Let me listen to you for a second. Yes. Let me just acknowledge that we are, you know, on the same planet in the same loft, having different life experiences, and I benefit from some of them, and some of them affect you negatively. Yeah. That's it. And it's like that's just what we're all as a as like a world slowly coming to is that realization, and it doesn't right. implicate anybody. I mean, you know, by acknowledging it, you're not like, oh God, I am a racist. I'm a bad person. It's right. just like, no, this is the way that things have been. I right. didn't notice it. You helped me notice it. Now I do notice it, and now right. that I do notice it, I can try to do better. Next right. time I have a choice, I can try to choose something else. Right. And sit That's in it. the discomfort. Sit in the yes. discomfort. Yes. Yes. So Ugh. I want to talk about Kevin's tears, mm. which, um, you know, so she hangs up the fucking phone on him. So which oh, would she... make me as as a as a 50 year old man cry. Yes. Um, at, particularly in a contentious conversation. But I sat I sat there wondering, surely. Kevin Powell has met other Karens and had this infuriating conversation before. Why is he crying? And I just realized that in whatever sense, these people mean so much to each other. Yeah. Even if, I mean, they talk about how they try to get reunions together, like private reunions, not televised reunions. Um but it's like it's it's deeper than, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's like they served in the Merchant Marine together. They, totally. There's like a there's a yeah. deep bond. Um, and so that is really hurtful when somebody who is close to a really deep part of your life is is, is like that. Mm-hmm. And and it's got to feel like. Um, and I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm projecting these feelings onto him, but it m- must also feel like 
This has been my life's work, you know, for years before going on this show and then certainly right. after this show. Right. Is like talking about these issues and like leading people by the hand through this thing. And then when somebody who has been so close to you and so associated with you um, is on camera for another mm. show that's going to go out to millions of people, mm. it, it is just so adamant about not taking any of it in. It has got right. to be unbelievably deflating and just, you know, it, it's like, like if a you know, like it's like a family member making a racist joke or something when, when you've right sort right. of try or a friend, like when you've sort of, when you've put out there like, Hey, don't do that kind of thing around me. And then like 30 years later they do. It's like, Oh fuck. Do you have any respect f for, have you changed at all? Has, right. has my influence on your life been nothing? Mm. Um, like what? Yeah. What, what are we doing that? that that's gotta be, and the way the things that she says before hanging up, which once again repeating, I don't want to be the poster girl for white privilege, and he says, right. then don't be, and then she is immediately like, well, you put oh. that on me. No, oh, no, nope, nope, no. You're, you're and then filling uh, out your application right now. Yeah, yeah, of literally on camera. Um, he says, you just like the thing is when I talk, you just always have to respond, and she's immediately like, no, I don't. Okay, well that. Okay, <laughs> and then. Um, he says, listen, I just, you have come close to the doorway of things that are racist and classist. And I was just trying to gently point those out. And she says, I don't always function in isms. Oh, God. Which is just like, okay, well, then you haven't heard anything. You just right. haven't heard anything. And right. this has literally been decades of wasted time. Oh. Ugh. Well, unless so, yeah, there's... I, Unless there's another infuriating event to recount, I think that concludes this week in Becky. Well, we don't know because in the, in the coming attractions or whatever oh. for next week, there is a return. Um, it's you know Heather speculates as to whether that you know Eric on the screen was video and maybe he yes. tested yeah, negative yeah, 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 and yeah. he can he can pop in. It may in fact be Becky. You know, I, I, it is not outside of the realm of possibility that like this has been a long con and they're all just going to be like, Hey, look what we did. We just forced another national conversation about race. I was kidding. Oh. <laughs> I actually do acknowledge all the ways in which I have Dave, been wrong. Dave, um, I'm so we sorry. We worked to on tell this, you this with Ashton Kutcher for, for months. <laughs> Oh, Dave, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry um, to tell you it's, that. Uh... It, I mean, it's a 0.1% possibility, but it is a possibility. <laughs> um, or it could be CeCe Peniston. Oh, yeah, I hope it. God, I hope it's CeCe Peniston. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, there's, there's one more episode of this thing. I really did not. I mean, do you remember at the end of episode one when we were like, how will there be five more episodes of this? Right. Well, I figured it out. They better and worse. I would be perfectly happy to just, you know, watch them watch clips, say contrite things about the controversial parts, mm -hmm. and then just, like, have middle-aged conversations about, you know, what ingredients to put in a mojito. Mm-hmm. I would have been perfectly, like, I, I, I watch it all damn day, could yeah. talk about it with you all damn day, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Talk to me about, like... 
you know, saving money and if you've done it and how you've done it and (laughs) things like that, like middle-aged person tips. Oh yeah, totally. Real estate tips. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. I could use that. All of that. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we, we, we took it back to 19. That's another thing that Becky took away from us. Yes. Is, is uh, practical advice about insurance. Yes. Fucking Becky. I, I, I'm, I will collect Becky Blasbins. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, yeah. so we got one more. Um, I'm feeling good about it. You know, the true story homecoming has been a runaway success. Our numbers through the yep. roof. Great. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. We're about I mean, to get that Nobel Prize in nostalgic podcasts. In nostalgic <laughs> TV watch podcasts. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, do we keep going? Do we do we grab another uh, season of The Real World? We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, I, you know, I mean, this is getting to be a thing. We're getting I'm, into a rhythm. I'm, I like this. Good at I it. like this. I like the I like the routine of it. I, I like can checking see in that with, with the Mike Doty once a week. Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, with the Dave Holmes, I, I barely you. check in with myself as it is. But okay. I'm just witnessing in my head a vision of the headline: Amaya stops 9/11. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I just I think we could we could make all things possible through our important work in recapping. Absolutely, it's an infinite universe full of infinite possibilities. Yes, it is. It, it in fact, not only can happen, it already did. uh folks once again uh go to our our twitters and our instagrams and stuff and do donate if you can to the gofundme for uh, jason smith's daughter's education it's a good cause he's a good man thank you jason for uh for helping us come back uh but we are still true still ray jason i'm sorry about that we we definitely are yep ungoogleable but 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 timeless that's right yeah, which I'm going to write in Latin under my crest. I don't know <laughs> yes. what Latin for ungoogleable but timeless is, but I'm going to figure it out. I want that in calligraphy and a semicircle over my navel. In oh, tattoo. yeah. All right, Dave Holmes. Until next week, all glocks down. All glocks down. Breakout.